Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Your hosts are Becky Olson and Sharon Hennepin. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, their friends and family with the resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here are your hosts, Sharon and Becky. Good morning. Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. I'm Sharon Hennepin. I'm a 23-year breast cancer survivor, certified life coach, and the author of my upcoming book, Thriving Beyond Cancer. And my name is Becky Olson. I'm a three-time 20-year breast cancer survivor, professional speaker, and author of The Hat That Saved My Life. We're also the co-founders of Breast Friends, and our topic today is not new to cancer survivors. I think it's something we all face and fear pretty often, and that is the fear of recurrence. And today we're going to learn how to tame that fear with our wonderful guest. We can always use that, boy, oh <laughs> yeah, boy. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> so our guest today is Dr. Shawnee Fox. Dr. Fox is a naturopathic physician, the creator of the leading, uh, leading edge back in charge, sorry about that, medical model for survivor care. Um, Dr. Fox is also the author of the Cancer Survivor's Fear First Aid Kit. That's a clever <laughs> name. title, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And uh, she's also a popular national speaker, radio guest, and blogger for the Huffington Post and other cancer survivor communities. Welcome, Dr. Fox. Good morning. Glad to be here. Oh, we're so glad to have you, honey. So um, we're, uh, you're a naturopathic physician specializing in the care of cancer patients. What drew you to that work? Cancer survivors are very underserved in the conventional medical system. We, we have a medical system that's very oriented towards curing disease. And, of course, in the case of cancer, that means that a lot of money and time and effort goes into cancer treatment, which is very important, obviously. But as people come out of treatment... And into survivorship, what tends to happen is they, everybody thinks that they're done, that's great, their life goes back to normal, and as any cancer survivor would say, at that moment, life is not normal. They're not sick, but, but, but things, isn't, things aren't normal, and they have no idea how to get themselves back to wellness. And as a naturopathic Boy. doctor, that's my specialty, is getting people back to wellness and supporting them in that. Oh, that's amazing. So, and, and it's so true because that's one of the reasons that we do our Thriving Beyond Cancer um, retreat and workshops and all of that is because you're right. When we're done, we're not really done. We're actually just kind of starting the battle, both mentally as well as physically, trying to get ourselves back to the life we knew, right? Mm-hmm. Boy, oh boy. So, um, in your in your work, so I'm assuming you you work with other than just cancer patients, but you, this was just a, a uh, an obvious draw for you. So that's that's pretty um, fantastic. So were these patients that you would normally have have worked with, and then they were diagnosed, and then you worked with them again, or is it just a new specialty that you've kind of established? I have had survivors who are re-diagnosed, and I can work with them in any, any phase of that journey. I can certainly support somebody during treatment. But during treatment, people have their minds on all the appointments that they have, et cetera. It's, they're really just focused on getting through the treatment. Where yeah, my, treat, where my uh, 
the contribution really blossoms is in between treatments or after treatment, hopefully the person's in remission, that would be the best case. And that's the period in which I can, I feel like I can make the greatest contribution because that's, Mm. again, where medicine, the medical system bows out of the picture. You know, when, when it, when it can't be resolved with drugs, all of a sudden they really don't have a lot that they can, they, they can do. The naturopathic right. physician has a toolkit that includes things like expertise in nutrition, expertise in helping people sleep, helping people manage stress. And so those aspects of lifestyle are really perfect. They're a perfect match for what cancer survivors need. And having that great toolkit, I felt very much like I wanted to put that at the service of the cancer survivor population. Oh, that's great. Yeah, because there's really not really a specialty for cancer survivorship in conventional medical, you know, system, right? It's, it's, it's kind of a, a specialty I think we've all kind of taken out on ourselves, but... <laughs> Well, I think we've done that, you know, Sharon, I I think we've done that because we see the gaping hole. We see see all these unresolved issues among survivors, and we realize that there aren't a lot of professionals out there who really get what these issues are, much less have effective tools to serve them. So I I think that's, you know, you and I and and Becky, and, you know, we're we're filling a big gap here, and we all have pretty special uh, things that we bring to the table. Yeah, makes sense. And boy, fear is definitely a big one, isn't it? Oof. Mm-hmm. Yes, that certainly comes into it. Okay. Becky, so, you have just, some questions? Yeah. Yeah. Just you know, is there if you just had to kind of pick one thing? I just kind of want to go back to what you and Sharon were just kind of having that conversation about. What are some of the specific things that you can bring to the table? You know, that are of particular benefit. I mean, I I, I know kind of generally, but are there some specific things that you that naturopathic physicians in general? can bring to the table in that interim period, you know, when somebody's done. What talk, I'd like you to speak a little bit more about that. Sure, it's a great question. So if conventional medicine is oriented at putting down disease, naturopathic medicine by its nature is restorative. The basic okay. belief in naturopathic medicine is that we have these bodies that are exquisitely designed to keep us well if they're able to do so. And so our job is to give them enough support, and sometimes it's extra support, so that they can basically just do their job. The, the, the aim is to get a body functioning back the way it ideally should so that it's not okay. diseased, but, but it's, it's functioning really well and, and feels really energetic day to day. So I'll give mm-hmm. you an example of that. After cancer treatment, well, let's put it this way. Cancer treatment is, I think just about anybody would attest, it's a very depleting ordeal, both physically mm-hmm. and emotionally. <laughs> yeah. Yes, <laughs> we can speak to that. <laughs> it's very depleting. People typically end cancer treatment extremely exhausted and, and sometimes even weak and, and without stamina, depending on which treatment they got. So that, when we have no energy and we're tired all the time, it, that's... It's really hard to get back to life when you're in that position. Well, what's really going on there? First of all, cancer treatments, of course, their target is to kill cells, certain cells. But we all know that in the process, they end up killing a lot of normal cells as well. So we have a lot of kill-off of cells that should have been functioning in our favor. And the result of that is the body is trying to get rid of all this cell debris, all these dead cells, no matter where they came from. Our body has detoxification systems that will do that naturally through the liver, for example. It will, the liver also is what helps us process through all those medic, 
medicines and whatever treatments we got, get them through and out of our body eventually. But the assault of cancer treatment is so profound that it takes the body a very long time to do that. It gets all backed up, essentially. And so the systems come to kind of a grinding halt, and all that backup in the system is part of what makes people exhausted. Their, their body just needs you to rest, rest, rest so that it can take over and, and get rid of all that stuff. This is, of course, completely unacknowledged by uh, conventional medicine. So one of the things a naturopathic doctor can do is come and support those detoxification systems. What I mean by that is, for example, we need certain nutrients in pretty heavy quantities in order to run those systems. And as cancer treatment progresses, we go through those nutrients, even if you have a pretty good diet, we go through the, our stores of those nutrients pretty darn quickly because of the exceptional demand. And so the naturopathic doctor comes in and says, oh, okay, things are backed up here, your energy's down, let's give you that supplemental nutrition that you need for the time being to get that system going again, get all that stuff out of your system, after which you're going to feel a heck of a lot better and a lot less tired. So... People are essentially undernourished because of the heavy demand on their nutrients, tired anyway, full of cell debris, and so all of those can be rectified with the help of a naturopathic physician and, and our tools. Yeah, 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 that makes that makes sense because you know for a lot of the the we always call them newbies. These are the the people who are new to their cancer journey who may not have a full understanding of what chemo is doing. But my understanding of what chemo does is it's kind of on a search and destroy mission, but it's looking for fast dividing cells, and so because cancer is a fast dividing cell, but so are things like hair follicles and mm. a lot of other things, which is why you lose your hair. So you know if that and if that's correct, then. You know, that makes perfect sense from what you're saying because you're, you're right. I mean, it's destroying the bad cells, but it's also destroying some, you know, that are good. And so what you're telling us is that with your naturopathic um, physician toolkit, you can help rebuild some of those things, build the stamina back and all of that stuff that we need in order to continue to succeed through a regular cancer treatment process. Right. Is, would that kind of say it? Yeah, that's exactly right. And you can imagine that in that very depleted state following treatment, not only can we not, for example, process through the cell debris, but then, you know, as you mentioned, we have to rebuild cells. Um, You know, hair is one thing, but even before that, uh, similarly vulnerable are the linings of our digestive tracts. (laughs) And so all those cells need to be rebuilt as well. So the body can Mm -hmm. only rebuild things if it's very, very well nourished and supported. And, you know, isn't it an irony that cancer treatment knocks out your digestion, makes it very hard to eat sometimes uh, and get the nutrition you need. And then I was counting on losing a bunch of weight because of that. (laughs) But, you know, (laughs) for some reason, that did not happen. No, it didn't. Becky, you remember when you had that PET scan and you had just gotten over a cold and, yep, you know, you had yep. congestion and everything. And I use that as an example of how our body is really trying to rebuild itself. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm trying to explain that to a newly um, finished uh, cancer uh, survivor. And it was interesting because literally it lit up from your neck all the way down yeah. to your belly button. My, yeah, my whole and, chest area was, yeah. was glowing. It was a light glow, but but bottom line, when you're what a PET scan does is it it shows it Again, the fast dividing cells, it, mm-hmm. it allows them to glow on the scan. And so we're looking at this thing glowing and I'm going, 
oh my gosh, what does that mean? Do I have cancer all the way through there? And my doctor says, have you been sick? And I said, yeah, I had a really bad cold just, you know, a couple weeks ago and I'm still battling it. And he goes, well, that's probably what's going on here. And sure enough, we we waited a couple months, did another test and that glowy stuff went away. But unfortunately, I had a really big, giant round hot spot that was not going away and that was it my third away. yeah <laughs> that was my did with I, radiation but yeah. yeah yeah that was my third battle with breast cancer and that's how we found it so mm-hmm. um it was it had gone behind my chest bone near my uh, or behind my my uh, my yeah it was near my my chest wall whatever it was in a really bad spot but mm-hmm. we did get rid of that but yeah to Sharon's point you know your body you get sick and your body tries naturally to recover and that's what was going on in my in most of that area there so yeah good point you know we're going to switch gears for just a minute because we're going to go out to break in about five minutes and so I wanted to kind of get started in a new direction and Dr. Shawnee I know you are a naturopath but you are also a certified life coach and that's really kind of unusual for a physician to make that jump so what prompted you to become a coach and how does it help you in your work with survivors? As I began working extensively with cancer survivors, it became clear to me pretty early on that while there's certainly a good deal of physical work that we can do, the emotional piece of this journey was so significant that it affected what was going on in the body and vice versa. What was going on in the body affected the emotional sphere. It was such an important piece of the picture that being a holistic physician, I had to take that into account. In in other words, I, I really wasn't serving people just by treating their bodies and forgetting about the rest. I I needed to take into account where they were emotionally, find out what support they needed, and be able to offer something in that regard. And as I uh, got in, you know, further clear about what was needed, it seemed to to me that life coaching was a great way to go. You know, we have people who go to therapists if they need emotional support, and that certainly can be a helpful thing to do, but the distinction between life coaching and therapy, or let's say the primary distinction, is that while therapy can spend a lot of time explaining the past, rooting around the past, a cancer survivor's uh, greatest needs aren't in the past. Well, there may be, but but the the greatest need right then and there is how do we create the present and the future? How do we create a healthy and happy present and future? They're they're, they're really just trying to bring themselves beyond this very difficult experience and and create the world after that. And so coaching is really ideal, very solution-oriented, very future-oriented. You know, yeah, that's really that cool because, you know, Sharon, you and Sharon have have quite a bit in common here, but mm-hmm. you have a different perspective, which is really cool because Sharon is also a certified life coach, mm-hmm. but she comes with the Now, Dr. Shawnee, are you a survivor yourself? I am not a survivor. I was first okay. inspired well, we by my, uh, my father's uh, journey with cancer. Okay, right. so you right. come from that perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, so Sharon is a breast cancer survivor, and mm-hmm. she also became a certified life coach. And what I love here is, you know, you've taken the medical perspective and became the life coach. Sharon took the survivor perspective and became the life coach. And so I think that that makes a pretty well-rounded, you know, thing. And what I love, too, is about the work that, that we're doing at Breast Friends in addition to, to that is we have our Thriving Beyond Cancer programs where we, you know, Sharon teaches that, and it's been a pretty pretty good thing. So we understand how important life coaching is. And when you're working from a medical perspective, that gives you a, a different spin on it. So good for you for making that, that not switch, but that 
you know, c- continuing education. <laughs> so, really, <laughs> yeah, like, I, I use all parts of my brain. <laughs> <laughs> so, we only have about two minutes left in this segment. So, let's get started on a question I wanted to ask you, and we're probably going to have to pick it up on the other side. But, what do you see as some of the major issues that affect the health of cancer survivors? And I know you said something about there are three ma- main areas. So let's get partway through at least one of them, and we'll see what happens. So Sure, sure. So as I treated many survivors, I was able to group the issues that I saw basically into three arenas. They overlap, and there's no particular chronological uh, order to them. But the, these are the three areas in which I see persistent issues among survivors. And the first is their recovery. So again, just to recap what I said earlier, medicine leaves us off at the end of treatment. That's it. There's really no support after that to speak of. And people need to be consciously guided through their recovery. It it, it may happen by itself over time, but it takes a very long time. And so supporting people through that period is not only speeds their physical recovery, but also gives them the confidence that they're going to get somewhere quicker. Um, and again, some of the issues in recovery, certainly energy levels, fatigue isn't probably the, the most common side effect of cancer treatment is ongoing fatigue. So yeah. people, I help people recover their energy. Again, the cancer treatment, very depleting of nutrients. So people are essentially typically undernourished when they come out of cancer treatment. I help them locate whatever areas need to be replenished and repair their digestion so that they can get that nourishment from their food then supplementing if we need to with with nutritional supplements. I've met any number of survivors that have trouble sleeping. Sometimes it's rooted in physical issues. It is. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes it's rooted in stress issues, which I'll talk about a little bit more later. But even physically... Cancer, a cancer diagnosis and cancer treatment alone without anything else going on in your life, those alone are simply very stressful. There's a high level of stress and typically very sudden onset. And so the, our, the piece of our physiology that deals with stress, this would be our adrenal glands, which are located above our kidneys, they produce stress hormones, which um, are, we, those are the ones that help us respond to our stresses, but they get so burnt out typically in a case of cancer diagnosis and treatment that this whole system can get overwired or it can break down entirely. And when that happens, either way, either people are so wired they can't sleep or they sleep all the time. Yeah. One way or another, there's actually physical, can be physical issues underlying people's inability to sleep. And again, this is a, an area which my naturopathic toolbox is very, very good at helping people. Yeah, you know, I'm really glad to hear you address that because I think for a lot of people, there's a misunderstanding. When you're done with treatment, you're not done, you know, and a lot Mm -hmm. of people think, yay, you're done with treatment. What's Mm -hmm. for dinner? I don't know. (laughs) It doesn't work that way. (laughs) So we actually do have to take a break. But before we do, I wanted to just kind of remind our listeners, you know, we've spent time on our radio show talking about palliative care and how important it is as part of the patient's total care package. And did you know that Regents Health Plans offers the most comprehensive palliative care benefits, providing an added layer of support when you and your family need it? And that is phenomenal. So way to go, Regents. So stay with us. We'll be back in a minute. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. Every day, you hear so much about different aspects of the health and wellness field. One day, you hear one thing, and the next day, you hear something that contradicts what you heard the day before. How do you know what's right? Try tuning in to The Cutting Edge of Health and Wellness today with Dr. Neil Nathan. 
Our goal is to educate and explore this field with guest experts in order to help you take control of your health and well-being. Listen Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. When was the last time you felt free? It's time to uncover that feeling again with the compassion of a cross and shield and the power of a card that opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states. Giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance like no one is watching. Regents Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1 866 472 5792. Again, that's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to our program. We've been talking to Dr. Shawnee Fox about, well, a bunch of stuff, but um, we'll we'll be talking about taming the fear of recurrence in just a minute. But let's, before we do that, let's go back to what you were talking about, the major issues. Um we were talking about recovery, and uh, were you finished with that one, Dr. Fox? Well, I was, I was talking about how we restore people's bodies to proper function, and the one other piece of the recovery that I would mention is that people often come out of cancer treatment with residual side effects and, or side effects to begin following the primary cancer treatment. Example of this would be neuropathy. Many, many treatments uh, cause neuropathy, very painful. Um, another is muscle or joint achiness, and that may or may not have resulted from the first treatment, but it often results, for example, from a follow-up treatment such as tamoxifen or a similar um, estrogen-oriented drug. So naturopathic physicians can also be very helpful in reducing the effects of some of these very, very um, p- painful and or uncomfortable side effects that people yeah, are dealing great. with. That makes sense. And so then there were three three areas. So that one was recovery. The next one was what, prevention? It's prevention. In my experience, once a person has got their energy back, the very next question that a survivor will ask is, what the heck do I need to do so I don't have to go through this again? Yep. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Boy, yeah. howdy. Well, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and nobody can blame anybody for asking that question. It's a very legitimate question. Mm-hmm. And again, conventional medicine being oriented toward the disease itself has really very little to offer in this area. But naturopathic medicine being prevention-oriented can help a lot. 
So what we do is we go through the person's history and look for any possible contributing factors. And there are a number of these, but I'll go with one very specific one that's known, particularly in your population, which is largely, uh, well, it's female cancers, whether it's breast cancer or, let's say, reproductive cancers. Of course, hormone levels, estrogen and, and, and hormone levels play a big role there. And one very common factor that's known to increase the recurrence of breast cancer, at least certainly the estrogen-positive ones, is the levels of blood sugar and body weight. Those are, those are very, very related and known, backed by research. So this, that's my, where we might start in prevention. We want to make sure that we understand the person's blood sugar history. How does their insulin system work? How do they, you know, if, if, are they near the proper weight or, or do we have some work to do in that area? And providing, of course, all what's necessary to correct those things, they are typically quite correctable through lifestyle medicine. So what we want to do is just make sure that the, the person is aware, okay, this is working in your favor. Here are some things that might not be working in your favor. Let's do something about those. And I find that people, especially when they have lab values or other information to back this up, they get very motivated and they really want to do something about it under these circumstances. And so that's what I, what I help people do. Well, you know, I, mm-hmm. I want to ask a question or just make a comment here because, um, you know, we've all heard that being, you know, overweight or obese increases your risk of, of getting breast cancer again. And my doctor finally explained it to me because I've been hearing it, but, you know, I'm kind of a why girl. <laughs> you know, tell mm-hmm. me what to do, but tell me why I'm doing it because the mm-hmm. why is what sinks in with me. And I have estrogen-fed um, breast cancer, and so I'm going to be on stuff for the rest of my life, probably. But I asked my doctor one day, why don't I just take out my ovaries if I'm still producing estrogen? And he said, well, that makes sense, it seems, but the truth is any fat that you carry around your middle is actually storing estrogen and actually produces something that is estrogen-like. And so that was the first time. So I'm taking all these anti-estrogen medications, and then at the same time, I got this stuff around the middle that's, you know, causing extra estrogen to be produced. It's like, hmm, it seems a little counterproductive. <laughs> so mm-hmm. once he explained that to me, that, 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 that fat that we carry, that so many of us carry after we go into menopause, is really one of the contributing culprits because of the estrogen in that fat. That was interesting to me. So I actually did work with somebody and I lost about 30 pounds. Now it's about 20. I put a few of those back, but, (laughs) (laughs) but it it really made sense. So, you know, as we talk about weight loss, I think that's an important thing is to explain why, you know, why does, why is it so important? Because, you know, that's one thing a lot of us are in denial about. (laughs) I just, you know, I don't want to have to do it if I don't have to, but that makes a lot of sense to me. And I think yeah, it's and congratulations really on the progress that you made there. That that's wonderful. And well, I need yeah, to reverse you, you it again. A point. You make a really <laughs> good point that people when they understand why, that's also very motivating. And so in addition mm-hmm. to the obvious literally preventive uh, effects that we can create by by correcting lab, you know, lab values and that sort of thing, I find that the prevention st- stage is very empowering to the people that I work with. This is a mm-hmm. this is where they get to do something about it. They they, they right. get to really get involved, and and if you contrast that with cancer treatment, where the minute you're diagnosed, you're kind of funneled right down a chute. Here's what you're going to do. Here's what you're going to show up, etc. All the, that that was disempowering. So, um, you know, you come out the other side. Now you can get back in the game and be part of your own treatment team. Yes. Once you have an idea why these preventive measures are important. 
and that's it gives you the sense of control too when you in 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 something you feel so powerless against it at least gives us some sort of control over what we're putting in our bodies and hopefully how our bodies will respond to it i mean it doesn't always work because obviously i've met lots of ladies who are you know 35 years old the the peak of, of perfection you'd think physically and emotionally and boom they still get cancer sometimes so it, it it's not always but it at least gives us some sort of control over over that um uh yeah it's it's a t- it's a tough one you know when you see somebody who's who's so healthy that that is diagnosed but it's better than better no, than no control at all that's for sure Yep. Yeah, I, I I totally agree with you. And of course, no, there are no guarantees because cancer is so multifactorial in terms of cause that we, we, we can't even identify, much less address all the possible causes. But there are some that we do know about. It does return a measure of control. And the way I describe this to my uh, the people that I work with is that, for example, if you were to look at statistics, I'm not recommending that anybody do that, but you know, if you were to look at statistics, typically you've got sort of a bell curve there, right? Uh, you know, you, and, and you wonder, where do you fall on the bell curve? Well, what I tell people is my job is to move you towards the good end of that bell curve. You know, let's not make this a random thing. You know, there's things we can do to really increase your chances to put you in the good end of that bell curve. So no guarantees, but we can certainly increase the chances that things will go better. Yeah, and that's certainly part of taming your your fear of recurrence is when you have control over some aspect that might change your your odds of getting it again so that's that's really good so i know there was a third area and we're going to have to move through it quickly because we got some a lot of good stuff left to talk about so what was that third area and the third area is emotional well-being and it overlaps with the others um because what happens in our body can make us anxious or not and the other way around what is what is proved by research is that anxiety for example is rampant in the cancer survivor population much more so than in the regular population. And much of that is centered around fear of recurrence. Mm-hmm. So one aspect of that is that that anxiety triggers physical processes which make us more vulnerable to illness. And that's not something we want in cancer survivors. So that would be one reason we need to address every survivor's, or at least check in on every survivor's emotional well-being. Uh, but also we don't want people walking around feeling like their life is less after cancer. So True. there's that whole area to address. How can we bring a person back into feeling like they are in control, as, as Sharon mentioned earlier, and also that they're able to create something that's happy, that, that's joyful, uh, that's fun. You know, get, get back all those, those great things about life after cancer that they're not stuck yeah. in any way. It's sort of that survivorship concept, you know, that's kind of a new new buzzword over the last few years, but it's so important because we are more than our disease, you know, and and we all have dreams and goals, and the more we can focus on those things, the better our future looks and the Mm -hmm. less fear we have. I do, I believe that with my whole heart, so. Yeah. So, yeah. are, are, Are some survivors more vulnerable to this fear than others? Interestingly, the fear of recurrence is not necessarily linked to factors that you might think were obvious factors. For example, it doesn't seem to matter how severe the disease was, what stage it was, for example. It, it, I, and I have met, in fact, met many of the people that work with me are people who ha- were, had a fairly early stage breast cancer, mm-hmm. and they are now cancer-free. Their prospects statistically are very good, and their fear is severe and profound. 
And mm-hmm. so it's interesting. Wow. It's not at all related in many cases to the degree of disease, nor is it related necessarily to how long it's been since a person was treated. In other words, unfortunately, if it's there, it doesn't necessarily go away over time or diminish that much, depending on the personality, of course, but we can't count on that. And yeah. it's actually pretty common amongst most survivors, isn't it, to, to a certain extent? It is. I, I, there was a, a meta-analysis done in 2013. So a meta-analysis means that it was a review of many studies and a compilation of the results of many studies that were done prior. So that makes it a powerful paper. And in this meta-analysis, they found that in various populations, they would find persistent fear in anywhere from 33 to 96% of survivors. Wow. So it, it, it's and then later papers are saying, you know, saying, let's say with assurance, that 70% of survivors struggle with persistent fear of recurrence to some degree. So it's, mm-hmm. it's in the a convincing majority of survivors. Yeah, well, definitely. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's crazy. So let me ask you, you would think that as you said just a minute ago, it doesn't matter how far out, you would think that as time went on, a survivor, it would, the fear would diminish, you know, just over time. But that isn't, it isn't so. <laughs> so why is it so persistent? What, what's causing that? Yeah, it isn't necessarily so. Again, I think it goes back to the fact that, it, that cancer treatment takes, it sort of takes the power right out of your hands. And mm-hmm. then when you come out to survivorship, you're accustomed to having everybody tell you what to do. And when that's not available <laughs> to you anymore, when treatment is yeah. over, and you're left without resources in most cases, you feel completely out of control, and that, of course, perpetuates fear. That, that starts it right yeah. there. I think that actually persists, really. I, I think that, that disempowerment persists unless there is targeted support for somebody to get back under their, sort of guided by their own internal GPS system. I, I, mm-hmm. I really think support is critical in this arena to make sure that people remember, no, you know, it's not up to my doctor or my wellness team all the time. I have a lot to say about this too, and particularly about the quality of my life. So getting people mm-hmm. just reoriented to making their own choices again and helping sure. them do that, um, I, I, yeah. I really think that that's part of what feeds this persistent fear. Yeah, and I know that like every every ache and pain and I know Sharon went through that you had that little ache in your hip and you were sure you had cancer in your bones and it happens to all of us you know you get a headache and it's like oh my god I've got a tumor in my brain you know Mm -hmm. and it's very normal it's not being it's not being a hypochondriac it's just kind of where our brain seems to go and I want to share a little quick story with you it's actually one of my favorite quotes I was getting flooring installed by this guy and he came over to my house and I said well what if you dig this up and this is what blah 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 you know I was all worried about something because I'm a worrier and he looked at me and he said just flat out he goes Becky don't put demons where none exist Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's like oh my gosh I love that I asked him where he got it he said he made it up and I could steal it from him so anyway I borrow it quite frequently but you know I think it's really true because you know we may think that we might have a brain tumor but probably we don't you know and and if it does go well and everything does work instead of what if it doesn't work well what if it does you know so it's it's not putting demons where none exist because the demons probably aren't there we're just in our head they are and then that Mm -hmm. makes everything worse so I love that quote I actually for a long time had it on my wall because I do worry about a lot of stuff and you know that was really helpful so I think worry is a big big factor that that keeps people you know in that fear state yeah, that's well, my personal opinion. <laughs> and and I think we really need to make a choice that when when you're done with your cancer treatment, 
you're cured. Unless your doctor has told you otherwise, you need to choose to be cured. You're done, right? Now, you have to go through this process that, that uh, Dr. Fox is talking about, about rebuilding your, your stamina and your, your energy and, you know, getting back to life and everything. But ultimately, it really does come down to this mental choice that we have, that I am cured. Now I need to get through all of these other little side effect things and whatever and live my life. And, yep, it, the cancer could come back. There's no question it can come back, but right now, it's not today. Right, Becky? Right? Correct. It's not today. It's not tomorrow, hopefully, and hopefully not next month or next year. But Mm -hmm. if it does, then I'll deal with it then. Yeah. And that's, I think that's, that's such a healthy way to look at it. It really is because, you know, there are no guarantees of anything in life. And, you know, if you spent your whole life worrying about, oh my gosh, what, what's not going to be guaranteed to me tomorrow? We don't do that on a normal basis. So, you know, we choose not to do that with our cancer too. We just, you know, I've had it three times now. I've battled it all three times and do I think it might come back? It's a possibility, but I'm not going to dwell on it and it's not here now. So, you know, and and we'll deal with it then. You know, we are actually going to go out to another break. And I know there is more on this conversation. So we're going to continue to talk a little bit about fear on the other side of our break. So if you have a question for Dr. Shawnee, this is a great opportunity to give us a call. Our number is 866-472-5792. And we will be right back. So stay with us. Step into a healthier you. Voice America Health & Wellness. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. When was the last time you felt free? It's time to uncover that feeling again with the compassion of a cross and shield and the power of a card that opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states. Giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance like no one is watching. Regions Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1 866 472 5792. Again, that's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Well, we've been talking about uh, overcoming the fear of cancer recurrence with Dr. Shawnee Fox. And so let's just uh, talk about what effects is fear having on survivors' lives? I see fear having both physical and emotional effects on survivors. Emotionally, fear can be at minimum distressing and 
and a greater to a greater extent uh, if it is, if it's there to a greater extent paralyzing you know i've i've met many people who are hesitating to make life decisions because they're afraid of cancer coming back this would be taking a new job or entering a new relationship it comes around on a daily basis for some people they may not feel like they're in panic all the time but they are simply unwilling sometimes to plan their future because the fear is in the background and then you have people who are thinking that it's over their head all the time there's actually a a term called Damocles syndrome for this and that was the mythical character who had a sword hanging over pointing toward his head all the time and so some people feel like that. The fear is present for them all the time. And people like that not only are not enjoying their lives, they're kind of paralyzed in their lives, they're often having physical symptoms. I've had many people come to me with things like headaches, constant headaches, certainly muscle tension, even nausea uh, from constant fear. Yeah. It, yeah. it can it, may, it, it really can turn somebody's life upside down. I love yeah. that word paralyzing because mm-hmm. it really you can just get to a point where you just want to lay on your couch and cover your head and 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 that's all you want to do because whatever. I mean that that's that moment. And you know, I think we all have those moments, but just don't stay there. We always say that on this show. It's okay mm-hmm. to have that moment, just don't stay there. And but it's hard if you're just dealing with that constant state of fear. So this is really an important topic. So yeah, what's your really. approach to helping survivors cope with fear, Dr. Fox? Well, the basic principle is that we can't eliminate fear, nor should we really. Fear does play a certain helpful role in our life by motivating us to take action sometimes. But we don't want to, as you say, we don't want to stay with fear. We want to learn to become the master of fear. That fear is not dictating life for us, but that we are able to say to fear, now look, I see you, but you're not going to occupy all of my attention. <laughs> I like that. Choosing how much attention you're going to be able to give that fear. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Yeah. The most powerful way to do that, I find, is to replace the fear in some way. You know, they say (laughs) nature abhors a vacuum. This is why, like, think positive does not work for cancer survivors, in my experience. Can't just tell somebody to think positive and not give them some way to do that. But I find that if we're able to replace the fear with something else that's more constructive, the fear will stand to the sidelines. And Sharon, you just mentioned an example of this. By making a conscious decision that, okay, I I, I feel the fear a bit, but I'm going to choose today to be the person who is cured and and have a whole day like a person who is cured and living totally normally, that choice is one way of replacing fear. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And behind that, I would say, is the principle that you can actually replace fear time-wise. And what I mean by that is this. If we think about it as fear, fear is a creature of the future. What we're doing is we're inventing a future that hasn't happened yet and then worrying a lot about it. Yeah. Right. So fear is a creature <laughs> Welcome to my of the future. world. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And so that's why it's effective. If we can bring ourselves back thoroughly and anchor ourselves in the present moment, Fear can't worm its way in there if we are sure that we are going to be aware of what's going on in the present moment. Your example of making a choice is like that. I also have people do that even like if they're really in panic. The first thing I tell them to do is breathe. Just pay attention. Just pay attention to your breath going in and out. And the simple act of focusing on the breath, listening to it, feeling it go through your nose, your mouth, whatever, brings you right back through your senses into the present moment. And that's where we start. 
by being in the present moment, and I have more exercises that I can give people about that, about anchoring themselves in the present, but just making sure they're in the present moment and not out there in the future, fear simply cannot be here. It's out there. So it makes sense. Uh Yeah, you can't be in both places at once. So breath is a beautiful starting point for that. And it has the extra advantage that when we breathe, even like five or six breaths, doesn't take more than that, but just nice, Mm -hmm. slow, intentional breaths, it actually calms our nervous system and stops the creation of stress hormones, which once they get started, they help, you know, it's like your body's perpetuating the fear state. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, years ago when I was going to church down in Southern Oregon, I went to, um, our pastor there said something that kind of took my breath away. And, and it's a really powerful statement. And when you're talking about things like fear or anger or any of those things, he says, remember this, God's got the big picture. The devil's got the Polaroid. And that Polaroid, <laughs> that yeah. Polaroid is where like he bounces out from behind a rock and he shows you this picture and says, remember that? Remember mm-hmm. your cancer? What if it comes <laughs> back? It's coming back. What do you think mm-hmm. about that? But remember yeah. that, that, that God's got control of all of this. And I, you know, I, I don't know where your spiritual bent is, but I, you know, I know how I feel about things and I, and Sharon as well, but you know, we're all being cared for. And so God's got the big picture. And so just focus on the big picture. Focus on 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 that, and and when the when you get that little Polaroid shoved in your face, just eh, don't need the Polaroid. Just tear it up yep. and throw it out. So I know that sounds simple, but it's really stuck with me all these years. And sometimes I have to remember to tear up the Polaroid myself. But um, <laughs> but it, you know, it's a tool. And I think for people who believe in that spiritual realm, I think that that's probably a pretty strong message, too. So absolutely. Um, so a lot so- of lot of ways to do this. So, Dr. Fox, you actually wrote a book that helps people cope with acute fear. Um, how did you develop that this method that you use in your book? I put it together from a lot of wisdom that I was familiar with. I, I just combined some factors into a, a very simple five-step method that works very quickly for cancer survivors in acute moments of fear. In other words, that's why I call it a first aid kit. It's for putting down the the panicky kind of fear that comes on either all of a sudden or on certain occasions. And, you know, the one I, I classically refer to is, you know, sometimes we can go along just fine for weeks and weeks and weeks, but then all of a sudden we realize, oh, next week is my upcoming scan. I've got a scan Mm. to find out where I'm at. And that type of event even though nothing's happened yet and you can be perfectly good health, can trigger a lot of fear. So in those windows of fear, whether short or a little bit longer, I I created that method for those particular uh, incidences of fear. And again, what, what the method is, it starts with breathing. There's one or two steps to anchor you in the present. And if I mentioned that fear can't be in the present and the future at the same time, that's where the breathing and the anchoring the present starts out the method. The other thing we can do to replace fear is that fear cannot coexist with very positive emotions. So, you know, our body actually produces certain hormones when we're scared and a different set of hormones when we are in happiness, joy, gratitude, and we, we can't do both at once. So, interestingly, if we're able to just catch hold of one of our positive emotions, we can actually calm our body and have it start producing the feel-good hormones again. And the easiest one often to grasp in these situations is gratitude. That you just find something, anything Mm -hmm. at all, Mm -hmm. to be grateful Mm -hmm. for. And what I tell people who are in the throes of fear is, just look right where you are. Can you feel your heart beating? 
can you feel your lungs working? Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. Look what's working yeah. perfectly. And you mm-hmm. weren't even thinking about it. Exactly. Your heart's right, working. Right. Your exactly. lungs are working. You know, mm-hmm. your brain's working. Your senses are working. And as we do a little scan there and just celebrate what is working and are grateful for it, you know, we mm-hmm. can't deny that those things are working. That's an obvious truth in this moment. So yeah, That's true. Yeah. And even just the simple ability to, you know, I can walk outside. Not everyone has the ability to walk outside. Bingo. That's something. Right. I mean, it's just those little things. But, no, you're absolutely right. So I have a question for you. I know that even with these tools that, that you give people, there are some who are just, their, their fear is even more persistent than that. Is there something that you can teach them or that you can teach us that we can help them with to help them overcome that severe anxiety? When, you know, when, when does it cross from just kind of very stressful anxiety to where it's over the top severe? Is there, is there a line? And how do we, how do we fix that? Yes, and what I, what I notice is, so people will buy my book, and they'll use the method for a while, and usually they're very happy with it at first. It, it does work. It's great. And then they realize, you know, a month later, I've been doing this, and it works for a while, but gosh, I'm, my fear seems to just keep coming back and keep coming back. Coming, yeah. And in that case, we've got, so it, as a first aid, it does work. It's very helpful, but with the mm-hmm. people for whom it persists beyond that, then we need to look deeper, then, then we're not talking about band-aids or first aid anymore. Now we need to look a little bit deeper. And okay. typically there are some patterns, thinking patterns, underlying the fear. Uh, and That makes sense. Often, yeah, and often these are simply things that we're not aware of because we weren't taught, you know, we weren't, we weren't made aware of them or we weren't taught in school how, what to do about them. So, for example, you know, it's very obvious in our society we're very fear-oriented. In fact, our medical system is still very fear-oriented. You know, I, I hear many stories about people who are, made afraid by their doctors or treatment teams. You've got to take this treatment or else type thing. So mm, there's yes. so many things that, that, that point us towards fear is okay, fear is, is, is almost normal, that we forget about that other option, that we have choices, that we, we don't have to be afraid. We, we actually can approach things some other way. Now, this is yeah. not something we do you know, on the spot. This, this, this would be coaching, for example, over time. It takes time to change thinking patterns, but over a couple of months, let's say three months, for example, it is very possible to make great progress in having people default to thinking, I do have a choice, I am powerful, rather than, "Uh uh-oh, here comes the fear again. Right, right. Yeah. So can you tell us a a story? I know you said you have several stories. Is there, can you share with us maybe something about someone who was able to overcome their fear with your help? Just give us an example of that. Sure, and I'll, I'll go ahead with somebody who had persistent fear for the moment since we just talked about okay. that. Sure, okay. So my patient, this happened to be a liver cancer survivor, and she was healthy and doing well. She actually came to me originally for preventive measures, which we worked on, but it didn't take me very long to see that what was mostly, most profoundly affecting her quality of life was her fear. This was a woman who was a sculptor and a photographer, and because mm-hmm. she knew that liver cancer, which, you know, truly, it's, it's true statistically, liver cancer has a relatively high recurrence rate. She was so afraid about that, even though she was pretty healthy, that she was kind of locking herself at home, not pursuing mm-hmm. her sculpture, her photography. She had simply given up, surrendered her purpose and the, everything that made her excited about life. Mm-hmm. Not much of a yeah. life there. Yeah. So we, 
after I did my initial prevention with her, I, I recommended that she come to coaching because I said, we can, we can, let, let's see what we can do about this. It breaks my heart to see you uh, having such a small life when there's so much life out there for you. Mm-hmm. We began coaching, and within, I think it was about our fifth session, she said, I'm going to miss next week. I'll, I'll be, you know, look forward to talking to you the week after. And when we got back together, it turns out that she had finally picked up perked herself up and traveled out to Eastern Oregon with her camera because she was passionate about photographing the herds of wild mustangs out there. Ooh, beautiful. Oh, I'd love to do that. So, Ooh, yeah, I just got so goosebumps. She not only took her, you know, her hobby, her, her this great interest with her, but also being in nature, being outdoors is so healing. So on several counts, she did something that was very healing for herself. She felt confident enough to do that. And that was wonderful, and she couldn't wait to go again. And about a month later, she went again, and this time she came back and told me a wonderful story, which was she was roaming around looking for the herds and passed a road that she would normally go down and saw that there were cones across the road. So she left the car and walked in there just to see what was going on, and it turns out there was a film crew in there who had come to photograph the wild mustangs because they were interested in preserving them. They, they, they know that these herds are thinned by the Forest Service sometimes, and they, they want to preserve these as wild herds. Um, so it was a nature conservancy group. And they talked about this common passion that they had, and by the end of the afternoon, they had asked, would she join them as their resident photographer? Could she please join Oh, my join gosh, that? that's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. She, oh, I love that. I lo- that's that big picture she, thing we were talking she, she about. She <laughs> a grand purpose for her life that made her feel excited, that made her feel alive. And like we were saying, fear cannot be in the same place as these magnificent emotions of purpose mm-hmm. and fulfillment. And so by this time, her fear... Yeah, she would feel it periodically, but it was just on the, on the very sidelines. What was filling up her frame was her purpose, her fulfillment, her joy in getting back out there with her camera and then allying with other people who had a similar oh, purpose amazing. to hers. That's amazing. Yeah. You know, and Sharon and I are story. so... We are so tuned into that purpose and, and passion. And, you know, when, when you use your gifts and you're using something, you know, you're using it towards something you're passionate about, that, that is your purpose. So Absolutely. that's awesome. I'm so glad. You know, we only have a couple minutes left, if that. So tell us real quickly, where can our listeners find out more about your work and your book specifically? Can you share an, an email or something with us? Sure. So my website is drshawneefox.com. That would be D-R-S-H-A-N-I. F-O-X dot com. Certainly okay. you can read there about uh, my services, about, about fear, certainly, and, and related services. And then the book is available on Amazon. Again, the title is The Cancer Survivors Fear First Aid Kit. Love that. So, and if you forgot that name, I think if they Google you on or search you on Amazon, they'll probably find it. That, that will do too. it. So, that will do it. Well, we are we are sadly out of time. This has been a phenomenal conversation, Dr. Shawnee. Thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to join us um, on this show. It will be repeating tonight at 10 p.m. on Pacific Time, and then it's always available through our archives on Voice America. So. We would love to have people download this show, share it with your friends, because there is there are some powerful messages in here. So we just want to remind you all, we will be back next week. And until then, remember, there is always hope, and we're here to help you find it. Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. 
Please join Sharon Hennepin and Becky Olson again next Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. There is always hope, and we'll help you find it. We'll talk again next time.